Part 3, The She. Chapter 19, Eldaha. Ronan had built his hut far from the castle, in the woods by Glenistar, and he still couldn't believe that the roof hadn't fallen in. It was made of corbelled stone, assembled without mortar, and designed without online resources. The structure was modelled, he liked to think, on the cells of medieval monks, although really far more influenced by the Star Wars franchise. The irony of building a sci-fi-inspired dwelling in another world was lost on him. There was one small window, set against the prevailing wind, but the light filtered through the stones in a way that pleased him, and he liked to listen to the waterfall as he went to sleep. He had read, somewhere, that Cistercian monks preferred to live within earshot of running water or cathedral bells. He did not think that there were any cathedral bells in Ildahuk. The hut neither needed nor had room for furniture. There was a small high shelf for food and a lower one lined with sheepskin for sleeping. Beneath it was a small enclosed space. It was a tight fit, but, as far as Ronan was concerned, every home should have one. He lay now in its embrace and brought his mind to bear upon the colour white. All white, weave it. Wimborne White, Pointing, James White, Clunch, White Tie, New White, House White, Matchstick, String. It's no more illogical than the effin' rosary, he had told his mother a long time ago when she had objected. The row that ensued was epic. None of the lawless household had mentioned it since, but Ronan still maintained that reciting the Pharaoh and Bull paint catalogue was his spiritual practice. Ronan could hear Isola's horse munching the grass outside his hut. He thought that she would wait until he was ready to come out, but as she was one of the she and he was human, her behaviour was difficult to predict. One thing was for certain, though. Isola would never, under any persuasion, come into his hut. There was something about it that revolted her. Ronan didn't understand her attitude. His hut was neat and clean, but he let it go. Ildahuk was confounding on many levels, but he had often felt strange in his own world too. Cord, shadow white, shaded white, drop cloth, savage ground. Because Ronan had watched a great deal of sci-fi and had more than a passing interest in quantum mechanics, the concept of a multiverse had always seemed logical to him. He had no problem in accepting the notion that there were other worlds, interlocking with certain aspects of his own. He even accepted that he now lived in one. But that did not mean that he found its inhabitants easy to tolerate. Salon Drab, Dimity, Joe's White, Archive, Oxford Stone, Smoked Trout, London Stone. It was close to midday before he emerged. Waiting was less of a problem for the she than it was for most humans. Isola had known that he would come out sooner or later, and that the smell of roasting fish would help clarify his mind. She had caught a large brown trout in the pool below the waterfall. It was now impaled on a spit above a small fire, 
skin rising in blisters from the heat. She looked up at the sound of his footsteps and made a whistling sound at the back of her throat. The language of the she was tunnel, multisyllabled and took no written form. Ronan found it impossible. The same syllable could have seven different meanings, depending on the pitch. Most humans can't learn it, said Isola, who also spoke exquisite English. They don't have the right pipes. She raised a hand to her long and slender throat. But while Ronan had a hard time distinguishing her language from birdsong, he had learned to recognise a few key phrases, including the formal invitation to share food. He sat down on a log beside her, wishing that they had some salt. They ate with their fingers as Isola outlined her agenda for the rest of the day. It involved sex, of which he approved, and climbing, of which he did not. He knew as well as she did that one aspect of the plan would outweigh the other. Isola's nest was built high in the branches of the tree. It was a terrifying climb, with handholds grown far apart with the growth of the trunk. Isola leapt from branch to branch like an arboreal creature. She toes, like their fingers, had retractable claws. Ronan climbed cautiously after, aware that he would enjoy the descent even less. The nest was scaled from the side and felt like he imagined the rigging of a ship to feel. All right if you liked things swaying beneath you. He disliked the climb more every time that he did it, but Isola seemed to find this arousing. He sat quietly in the swaying nest, admiring her slender neck and delicate wrists. Beautiful, although quite clearly not human. Her eyes were clear amber, and there was something about the structure of her face that reminded him of a mountain hare. He had seen the faces of the she in stained glass windows, made in Ireland in the early 20th century by an artist called Harry Clark. Wide at the temples, with deep-set eyes, tapering to a narrow jaw with long and elegant hands. The difference was that Clark's version of the she were dressed in rich jewelled garments. Ronan had seen nothing of the kind in Eldahuk. You have Harry Clark hands, he told Isola, touching the strange gap between first and second finger. Without the rings. Isola, who was in no way affectionate, withdrew her hand. He was here, she said. And Yeats, the poet, you are not the first. What was Yeats like? Good at poetry, bad in bed. Isola's long legs, dangling over the edge of the nest, were bare, but not in the way of human skin. Like the rest of her body, they were covered in a pelt so fine that it was almost invisible. Fawn-coloured, except between her clavicles where it lightened to cream. She wore a single garment, woven from raw wool and lined with pale winter fox, and a wreath of speedwell and celandine. Her feet were bare, that she had no time for shoes. Ronan examined his own feet, although without extending them over the edge of the nest. He was a long way from being able to move them as she did, almost like hands, but they had become a great deal more mobile since his shoes had fallen apart. He rubbed the calluses on his soles. There must be something in the climate of Ildahuk that was inimical to fabric. His clothes had disintegrated shortly after his arrival, 
and Isola presented him with a garment like her own. Red fox, like your hair. And Ronan, who had once taken a stand against the use of furs in design, accepted. He had nothing else to wear. The garment, still redolent of the animals from whose winter coats it was made, was armless, but both waterproof and warm to the extent that the she, in a fireside situation, would simply take them off. Nakedness was not a problem to them. Ronan had found it difficult at first, given his Catholic upbringing and relative lack of body hair, but he was getting there. Human girlfriends had been problematic for Ronan. They liked the look of him, but were inclined to change his habits, and Ronan had a low tolerance for being adjusted. But Isola didn't seem to want to live with him, or even spend a structured amount of time with him, showed no inclination to formulate future plans, and made love with a cold, vindictive fury that astonished him. Isola didn't kiss, and she didn't even pretend to like him. This suited him remarkably well. He wondered sometimes if the she were capable of love, certainly not in the way that humans understood it, but then he had never been convinced that he was capable of that kind of love either. Ronan looked up into the branches above him. The nest was lined with palms, smooth and cool to the touch, and smelt of green pine cones. Once he would have felt compelled to decorate, candles hovering like fireflies in bubbles of blown glass and the merest trace of gold leaf brushed onto the underside of the branches. Transforming a space with subtle, barely perceptible changes was one of the things that Ronan did best. He sat up, trying not to look at the ground ten metres below, and watched a pair of red squirrels chasing each other across rooftops that stretched as far as the eye could see. In the Middle Ages, a squirrel could run from the east to the west coast of Ireland without touching the ground, and it seemed to him that Ildahuk could be an early imprint of his own world, its familiar hills and valleys cloaked in variegated green. The colours are different here, he thought. The sky is a deeper blue and the greens are more intense, like a stained glass window. He glanced across at the dark bulk of the castle, which he was fairly certain had been built by humans. One of Ronan's PhDs was in architectural history, and he knew a medieval castle when he saw one. More strangely, apart from the meagre human settlement that serviced the castle, he had seen no more recent buildings. If humans had ever been the dominant species on Aldahuk, it was many centuries ago. Left to their own devices, he reckoned that the she would live in burrows, like badgers, when it was too cold to sleep outdoors. They did not build, but they sometimes inhabited existing buildings, and Cahar had been occupied for so long that it no longer felt human. Moss grew over the walls, inside and out. Water occasionally dripped through the roof and pooled on the flagstones below. Bats roosted in the eaves. Toads lived in the cracks within the walls, and swallows flew through the holes in the roof. Ronan's first impression was that it could have done with a decent makeover. Imagine the great hall with tapestries on the walls, hunting scenes woven between crimson velvet drapes, 
and an enormous chandelier hanging from the ceiling. You could put in soft seating around the walls and wood cladding in the minstrel's gallery. Isola looked at him pityingly. Any gold? Yes, said Ronan seriously, but only a little. The original building was intended to be plain. But it was becoming clear to him that there was no place for interior design in Ildahak. The she did not make things unless they absolutely had to. All of their craftsmanship, the leatherwork, the weaving and the wood carving, was done in the human village. And, although they valued music, poetry and dance, they had very little attachment to objects. As a result, they left very little imprint on their world. Apart from their lifespan, which was very much longer than a human one, this seemed to be the main difference between their species. What worried Ronan was that his own creativity was fading. For as long as he could remember, the orchestration of interior spaces had defined him. He negotiated the world through the layering of colour and texture and light, and the gradual ebbing of his desire to do so felt like a kind of impotence. I've had a couple of weeks off, he reassured himself. Everything will go back to normal once I get home. <laughs>